We got a young guy here, his name is Jake Nichols. He was a former intern with our youth group. Now he serves uh, with our young adults here at Highland. Awesome dude. A couple days ago, this is a couple months ago, he walked outside and his car was not where it was supposed to be because it was gone, it had been stolen. And uh, that's a bummer. That's a real bummer. And so he, cops come, he files a police report, and the cops tell him, you know, you're probably never going to see your car again, so you might want to figure out, you know, what to do next. And so he does. And then he gets a call, though, a couple weeks later, and the police have found his car. And so he goes to get his car, and it's a mess. They, there's a window that's busted out. There's trash all over the inside of the car from the guys that had stolen it. And, but best part of all, on the top of all that trash is a flyer that says in big, bold letters, is your heart right with God? <laughs> and then it goes on to describe heaven or hell and some other things. And um, <clears throat> I just can't get over that those guys kept that flyer. You know, I don't know if they were at a red light and rolled down the window and somebody handed it in, or if they went to church and got the flyer and then got back in his stolen car and drove off. But if, if I was stealing cars... Um, littering, you know, throwing that out probably doesn't bother me. You know, I, I, that's just my guess. Maybe that's, maybe that's ugly of me. Maybe those guys are planting trees to offset their carbon footprint as they've stolen this car, but I doubt it. And so my thinking is, if you get a flyer that says, is your heart right with God, you toss it if you're stealing cars. And they kept it. They kept it. And it really makes me wonder why. It is a penetrating question, isn't it? Is my heart right with God? Which is a different question than, am I saved? Am I justified by the work of Jesus Christ? It's a very different question. The question is, the one who has justified me, the one who has saved me, does he have my heart? Now, that's different. It's a different question. And that is really the question the book of Acts ends with. And so I'm thankful to end this series asking the same of us as we look forward to Easter, not Easter, to Christmas. Although I'm looking forward to Easter too, it's going to be great. I have a feeling he's going to be raised again. But at Christmas, as we look forward to Jesus coming, it, really the question I hope you ask is the question Acts ends with, and that is, is my heart ready for this? Is my heart in it? Let me show you the last verses of Acts. This is how Acts actually ends. It seems important to me if you're going to read the first verses of a book and then preach 50 sermons, you got to read the last verses. So we're going to read those and then we're going to back up a couple verses and look at this question of the heart. But this is how the book actually ends. Chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. For two whole years, Paul stayed there. That's in Rome. So after years of trial, imprisonment, Paul has finally made it to Rome, which is the center of the ends of the earth. So the gospel is reaching to the ends of the earth. Paul has made it there. All right. He stayed there in his own rented house, and he welcomed <clears throat> all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God, and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And so Acts ends on a really victorious note. He's made it. The gospel has gotten there, and it's going to go from here everywhere else. Okay, that's how it ends. But if you go back a few verses earlier to verse 24, there is this moment of extreme and significant rejection. 
So Paul arrives there in Rome and he preaches and he gathers around him, in this case, the Jewish folks in Rome, and he always goes and preaches to them first. And what we're told in verse 24 is that some received this message about Jesus, his death and resurrection, but most did not, we read. And so look with me at 28, 25, and 27. Look at this. The Holy Spirit, this is Paul's response to those who did not receive his message of Jesus. He says, the Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet. So he's saying, in the, Holy, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was speaking to us. Okay, it's worth paying attention to. That's a side note. He says this, you will be ever hearing, and this is what Isaiah said, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. So he's not talking about pagans here. He's not talking about guys who are robbing cars. Okay. Um, He's talking to people who are Bible believers, Lovers of the Lord, they would say. And he's saying, no, actually you, your heart's not as in it as you think. Otherwise, you would receive what the Lord Jesus is trying to plant there. And you would turn to him and be healed. Your heart is hard. Do me a favor, take these two fingers here. And you know this, you put them on the top of the inside of your wrist here. You give it a couple seconds, and you're going to feel your heartbeat there. And yet your heart's not there. It's here, but you're going, to feel, you're going to feel your pulse there. And what I love about that is it's a pretty simple and quick way to just get a, like a read on how your body's doing. So if you're sitting here in this chair and your heart rate is 170 beats a minute, we're in trouble, right? But if it's somewhere south of 100, you know, we're probably okay, and I love that. It's just like a quick way to test and see how's my heart doing. I wish there was a spiritual equivalent of that. You know, a machine that when people come to my office, I could hook them up to and just, it would just tell me how good their heart is with the Lord. I think that's actually the church of Scientology from, from all that I understand. And so maybe I'm in the wrong place. I don't know. But I wish that there was a way to test your heart spiritually like that, right? So do, my, do me a favor and ask yourself this question, how, how is my heart doing right now with God? My buddy, he preaches in Amarillo. He sent me a picture this week. <clears throat> there was a guy outside of his kid's elementary school holding a sign that said, keep Christ in Christmas, something like, along those lines. <clears throat> and he was dressed as the Grinch. I have the picture. I'll show it to you if you want to see it. Don't clap for that. The guy representing the Jesus people is dressed as the guy with no heart. Okay. And that's what, that's what Paul's saying here as he quotes Isaiah. He's saying that even for religious people, it is possible that the heart would be hard to the Lord. That the heart would be hard. And I hope because you're in this room, that's not you, that you like those people on the the baptistry there 
Like what I love about baptisms is it's the moment, the confirmation that these people, their hearts are all in in that moment. Do you remember that moment for yourself? You remember when you got baptized and you wanted more than anything in the world to be in that water with Jesus Christ? You remember that? You wanted it so badly. That's what I love seeing there. Do a pulse check here. How's your heart right now with Jesus? To answer that question, it's probably worth answering the prior question, which is what is the heart biblically? And biblically, I'd say two things. If you're a note taker, you might write these down. That the heart is God's greatest desire, the human heart. God's greatest desire. And two, the heart is the source of our greatest desires. <clears throat> so let me show you this. This is from Deuteronomy. It's going to be a passage you'll know, you'll be familiar with. It's called the Shema. Listen to this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, so... Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And these commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Jesus comes back around in Matthew 22. So this is God the Father speaking to us here. God the Son, Matthew 22 says that the most important thing is that you would love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So Jesus comes back in here and he says, hey, God wasn't playing around. The Father's greatest desire is that he would have your heart. Heart. So the heart is God's greatest desire, the human heart. What is it for us? Well, for us, the heart is the source of all of our desires. In my kitchen right now, we still have bags and bags of Halloween candy from our kids. And every time I walk by those bags of candy, I want a Snickers bar. Okay, so that kind of impulsive desire, that's actually coming from my stomach, okay? But now that I just said the word Snickers bar, if for the rest of the day, you're only thinking about a Snickers bar, and tonight before bed, you go to the gas station, you say, honey, I'll be right back. And you go buy a Snickers bar. That's coming from the heart. Okay, those deep longings that we can't shake and that guide the decision-making of our life, that's the heart biblically. It's the source of our desires and decisions. So if I want to be wealthy or comfortable or safe or secure, like the main desires of the human life, the Bible would say, come from the heart. So when I say that God desires your heart above all else, what I'm saying is that God wants your wanter. That he desires your desirer. That he wants more than anything else for you to want him. Okay, that's not just to obey or to serve him. It's to want him. Do you see the difference? <clears throat> After Jesus is raised from the dead, he comes across, across some of his disciples. They're walking on the road to Emmaus, and he, they don't recognize him at first. His body is, is veiled, essentially. <clears throat> and he comes across them, and he begins to open up the scriptures to them. And he says that all of these scriptures are pointing to this guy, Jesus, who just died and has been raised. And then he disappears from them. And after he leaves, they say this. Look at this with me, Luke 24. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So what are they saying? They're saying that the word of God had taught and formed them to desire certain things in their heart. And that in that moment, they realized Jesus was the fulfillment of all those things Scripture had taught them to desire in their heart. And so at that moment, their hearts came alive and were burning, burning of the heart. 
That's what God wants. So here would be my question. If we ran into those guys in Luke 24, 30 years later, and we asked them, is your heart still burning? What do you think they would say? What do you think they would say? I think about that because if you look again here at this passage in Acts 28, quoting from Isaiah, he says, for this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes. Now that's a pretty powerful image, isn't it? What the word means, why they translate it callous, the word literally means to get thick or fat, the heart. And, it, and it, you just think about that. What makes our wanter, our desirer, get thick and fat and calloused? Well, I mean, I'm pretty convinced that a big part of that is that we live in a world with, where we are constantly under a barrage of things telling us what to desire and what. How many of you bought something on Black Friday? That's a setup. Don't raise your hand. Right? Okay, what's happening on Black Friday? You're getting those emails in your inbox about these great deals, emails that are telling you, you should want this. Why don't you want this? You should want it. Right? And listen, I'm not, I'm not down on Black Friday. I hope you got some savings. But what I'm saying is that we live in a world that conditions us to want so much other stuff. And so our wanter is working a lot. And it, like other muscles or like the skin on your hand, gets calloused from all of that work. And that callous, in the case of the heart, is bad because it prevents the seeds of Christ Jesus and his love from entering the heart, which Jesus says is his desire. I've been thinking about this. I don't have this fully baked yet, but let me, let me run it by you. Uh, how many of you use the Bible on your phone sometimes? Anybody do that? I bet most of you do. I do all the time. I'll get on there and, you know, if I want to encourage somebody with this passage of Scripture, I'll copy and paste it from there. Or if I'm working on a sermon, I'll get it off my, my phone or off the computer and copy and paste it. <clears throat> okay? Studies are revealing that most people today, if they're going to consume the Word of God, most are going to consume the Word of God on a device, actually. Okay. So, I'm, you know, I'm not a Luddite. I'm, I think there's great advantage to that. It's just got me thinking. If I only consume the Word of God in the same way I consume Facebook and eBay and the news channels I like and the stock market, is it any wonder to me that the Word of God does not feel any different than those things? You understand that? Um, now, Christians existed for a long time before they even had the Bible in printed form. And I say that's impossible. What I'm just saying is we, we in some ways kind of inoculate our hearts by the things we do from the seeds that Christ Jesus would like to plant in there. Does that make sense? Francis Schaeffer, a great Christian writer and minister, talked about this. He did this diagram. Let's throw this up there on the screen. He talked about these three arenas of the Christian life. He has a bullseye. I really think he should have used a pyramid. You know how I feel about those. He said, <clears throat> okay, so what, let me help you understand here. So picture arrows working inwards, and that helps to make it make a little more sense. But he says our lives are grounded on biblical truth, okay? And that what truth does, first of all, is it affects our eyesight, and it helps us to see the world around us, what he calls cultural vision, better. 
So what he means is, I'm able, because of the truth that my life rests on in Jesus Christ and in the scriptures, I'm able to see the world around me more clearly. So I'm able to say, well, this is good, this is bad, this is helpful, this is harmful. Okay, but he says the desire of Jesus Christ and God the Father is that that truth would move beyond your eyesight and would penetrate to and change your heart, the place of your desire and affections. That that's what the Lord wants more than he wants anything else. All right, so let's pause again, take our pulse. How's your heart doing with God? How's it doing? Okay. <clears throat> if you're like me, you would acknowledge, well, sometimes my heart's a little harder than I'd like. If not all the time, at least sometimes. What do I do about that? I was at a gathering of ministers a couple of years ago. I've shared this one other time before, but it's been a couple of years ago. And um, we were talking about the heart of the minister. And uh, I, I'll, I'll say openly, I hope that you would pray for my heart. Uh, but this minister said, guys, I'll be honest with you. I've been doing this a while. And at this point, it's just kind of turned into a job. I'm not proud of it. And I'm get up there. I'm preaching good sermons. I think they're pretty good. But I'll be honest, guys, my heart is not in it. And he looked at the mentor who was leading this gathering of preachers, and he said, I want to want Jesus more than I do. And my mentor, Randy Harris, he looked at him and he said, okay. He said, the desire to desire Jesus is enough. And what did he mean by that? He went on to explain it. He doesn't mean that that's where God wants you to stay forever. What he meant was, that is a starting point that the Lord can work with. The desire to desire Jesus. Let me show you this in Psalm 27. <clears throat> this is a prayer. The Psalms are prayers. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. So he's crying out to the Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. Then he says, my heart says to you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I'll seek. Okay, I want you to see the progression. I was trying to find the shortest place in Scripture I could that kind of captures this. He desires to desire the Lord, so he calls out to him. And the Lord, in response, plants into his heart a greater desire for him. And out of that greater heart desire for the Lord comes the resolution and commitment to continue to pursue him with all of his heart. Do you see that? I mean, isn't that a beautiful thing? I, I, I don't think it's complicated. I think it's mysterious and profound and powerful. But that if you desire to desire Jesus more with all of your heart, start by asking for more desire in your heart. Pray for it. Pray for it. And I believe he will answer that prayer because it's his greatest desire too. Why would he not answer that prayer? And then there are other ways, I think, that you and I keep our hearts supple uh, for the Lord, keep them soft and tender to the Lord. And, in, and really, what we're going to do over the next few weeks as we lead up to Christmas, and then at the start of the new year, we're going to talk really practically after the start of the new year about the things we do to make our hearts tender to the Lord. And so if you've got a friend, they're maybe far from the Lord, I hope you'll bring them over the next few weeks. Okay, so I wanted to say that. 
But again, I don't think it's, it's magical. I think it's mysterious and profound and powerful again. But I think things like Scripture open our hearts to the Lord. Just yesterday morning, um, had some extra time and was working through something I've been carrying as it relates to life and ministry, this kind of a burden. And I was reading Colossians 1, and it was a moment, and you've had these before, as though the Lord were talking to me and to my heart. Have you had those before? Just give me a nod, you know. Or maybe it's in worship. Maybe it was in singing just a few moments ago with Brescian and the team. And some happens. I don't know about you. If I lift my hands up, it's like uh, it opens up this emotional valve inside, you know, that stopped up. It's weird. You know, it's like twisting it off. If I just do this, all of a sudden I start crying. I was thinking about the baptism video to come. I was a mess down there. It just opens it up. One of my heroes, he said this, he said, we try to protect ourselves by numbing our hearts to the familiarity of the Christian story. That's interesting, try to protect ourselves by numbing our hearts. And yet there are moments when our defenses drop and we are jarred by hearing in the words of Scripture sung or recited or taught or just read the voice that says, come and follow me. He said, at the most cynical time in my life, I, find, I found myself undone just by hearing the words of Jesus loves me. This I know, and I could give you a thousand reasons why the Bible tells me so, he said. But the deeper part of me had forgotten it, couldn't really believe it to be true. And when I heard it again that day, it hit me with a different force. I was overwhelmed just for a moment with the truth of the words, Jesus really loves me. And so I think if... if if you desire to desire Jesus more, and it's something that should be on your heart this holiday season, pray to God to give you that desire in your heart and seek him in his word and in worship. And I believe he will meet you there in that tender place. I believe it. Augustine or Augustine church father, he famously said, he said, our hearts are restless until they rest in you, he said. But then he goes on, and nobody ever reads the rest of the quote, and it's my favorite part. I want you to see this image. He said, will you grant me this grace that you should come into my heart, Lord, and inebriate it? Which is an image in this one case I really appreciate. Would you come into my heart and inebriate it, enabling me to forget the evils that beset me? And embrace you, my only good. Listen to this. Oh, Lord, my God, tell me what you are to me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Say it so I can hear it. My heart is listening, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart and say to my soul, I am your salvation. And let me run towards this voice and see this hold of you with all that I am. May that be the case for each one of us. Let me pray for you and for the hearts in this room this morning. God, our great desire is that you would have our hearts and that we, each one in this room, would love you with all of our heart. I pray, God, that you would open um, hard hearts this morning, that you would break tender hearts, that we would love you, God, 
and desire more than anything in this world, your son, our Savior and King, Jesus Christ. And we pray in his mighty name. Amen.